With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Ball with Eric Ose. I am Eric Ose, and it is good to have you with us on what is episode number 18 of A Ball. We'll be talking this week with the second overall pick for the Miami Marlins in the 2014 draft, Tyler Kolick, and a road to recovery that he has had to suffer through back with the Lumber Kings, hard-throwing right-hander, and we'll get into the nitty-gritty of all the things that Tyler had to go through just to come back here to the Lumber Kings, a former top prospect in the Miami Marlins organization, a team, though, that is playing some good baseball again after they had a hiccup. We had been billing that big series out in Clinton against the King County Cougars. Well, it turned out to be a dud. Lumber Kings dropped all three games against the Cougars. So when we had last spoken with you, the team was in first place by a comfortable two-game margin. That is not the case anymore. Lumber Kings now in second place, but have begun to rebound a bit since following that three-game sweep against the Kent County Cougars. They had also lost game one against the Cedar Rapids Colonels, and so the losing streak did swell to four games, their longest of the second half, but things have rebounded. We record this after a Monday afternoon win at Perfect Game Field, the home of the Cedar Rapids Colonels on July 29th. It was an impressive win because the Lumber Kings, all the offense really erupted. They had nine runs, 14 hits, a home run from Zach Scott, just the second of his professional career. Christopher Torres had another great game in which he had three hits. His hitting streak is now shot up to 17 games, the longest by a Lumber King in over four years of baseball. He is now approaching a franchise record that was set back in 1956 by Robert Sculler when he had a 24-game hitting streak. So well within the realm of possibility now for Chris. It is part of an offense that did go dormant during that four-game losing streak, but it did not mean the pitching had faltered at all. The pitching has been incredibly sharp for the Lumber Kings, not just in the second half, but really all season long, and they had continued to do so, most impressively in a win against the Cedar Rapids Colonels on Saturday, or rather Sunday afternoon, a 5 to nothing shutout win, which had gone for just their fourth shutout win of the season, but impressive work from Remy Reed a name that Marlins fans should be getting to, to get familiar with because Reed, at least in his time here in Clinton, he just has been one of the best options for the pitching coach, Mark DeFelice, and also for the manager, Mike Jacobs, in this six-man rotation. Reed setting a professional career high his last time out on it. Monday after or Sunday afternoon with a win. It was his second as Lumber King, seven and two-thirds innings of work. He allowed no runs on five hits. They were all scattered. They came in different innings. He did not walk anyone and also struck out eight, which was a season high for Remy Reed. So he has been incredibly sharp. Then Jake Walters, who we talked about also throwing the ball very well, came back out the next day on Monday afternoon, and he picked up his third straight win. Six innings of work for Walters, who we had on the podcast just a little while ago. He also had had given up just one run on four hits, walked a batter and struck out five, a 
Strong performance from the University of Alabama product that has been part of the first series win for the Lumber Kings this season against the Cedar Rapids Colonels, the single-A affiliate of the Minnesota Twins. So as it stands right now, the Lumber Kings a game and a half back in second place in the Western Division. They are still in the wild card standing in that second half race. Also, you got to throw in the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers into that discussion. They had entered the action just two games back of the Lumber Kings, and that is where they will be headed next for a four-game series. Very important. It starts on a Tuesday, July 30th. It will then come to an end on Friday, August 2nd. And of course, this podcast will be out on Wednesday, so it'll be right in the middle of that four-game set. A house of horrors, though, is where the Lumber Kings are headed. Neuroscience Group Field, we've talked about it. They are just 5-1 and one there to begin the season, having won their last contest against Wisconsin up at Grand Chute, Wisconsin in the suburbs of Appleton. They will look to try and Right that wrong as the Lumber Kings will be turning the ball over to Tanner Andrews, Alberto Guerrero, George Soriano, and then Josh Robertson in that order. We did want to touch on Josh just a bit. We mentioned it briefly when we had spoken with you last week. The fastball getting up to 99 miles per hour. He has been an impressive option for the Lumber Kings. Got the tough luck loss for the Lumber Kings here on Saturday night in Cedar Rapids. But a rotation that has continued to hum in addition to the hitting streaks. Now, when we had last spoken with you, Connor Scott had the longest stretch for a Lumber King to hit consecutively in games. He had run his streak to 16 straight for Connor Scott. It did come to an end on Saturday night with an 0-4 performance, but an on-base streak also for Connor that had reached a very high and respectable 24 games, the longest by a Lumber King. He was batting around 400 at the time of his hitting streak, had come to an end, but picking right up after Connor was Christopher Torres. He had started the rally yesterday with the first pitch of the game being doubled over the head of the left fielder, Albie Weiss. That's an opposite field double for Torres, a switch hitter who was batting from the left-hand side, and so his hitting streak has also swollen to 16 games. He's hitting around 402 during his stretch. He has been on base now in 18 straight games. Christopher Torres, who, remember, was really struggling for the better part of this season. He had an average that was on the interstate, so to speak, in the 100s. Now, he was drawing a lot of walks. In fact, still leads the team in free passes drawn with 57 of them on the season, the second most in the Midwest League. But the average was down in the 100s. So at one point, during a skid at the plate, Christopher Torres, he had gone 0 for 28. And then the hitting streak started. Since then, all Christopher Torres has done is hit and so the average has gone from 175 on the year to 214 it has been an impressive turnaround for Chris Torres to say the least manager Mike Jacobs has been slotting him either in the first spot or the second spot in the lineup and has been a big part of this playoff push as will likely be the Lumber Kings bullpen option that will be joining us next Tyler Kolick he is going to talk to us about his 2019 season adjusting goals coming from a, a small town out in Shepherd, Texas. We joked with him being the big man on campus, but he said everyone's the big man on campus because they all know each other. It's such a small town. And, of course, the long road to recovery for the Miami Marlins, second overall pick in the 2014 draft. Tyler Kolick joins us next on A-Ball with Eric Oss. Welcome back on A-Ball with Eric Ghost. We're now joined by one of the Lumber Kings bullpen options and Tyler Kolick. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us on the podcast side of things. Not a problem. Glad well, to be here. 
a hard thrower is what we're usually told as we look at Baseball America, too. And by the way, you were in that book, Tyler. And they were telling us about a, an electric arm. You were the second overall pick for the Miami Marlins in the 2014 draft. So I was wondering if you could just tell us sort of the origin story of your baseball career and then kind of the, the trials and tribulations that bring you to Clinton here in 2019. Um, well, I, uh, you know, obviously grew up playing baseball since, uh, you know, T-ball and all that kind of stuff and uh, just was your pretty typical big right-handed high school guy from Texas. And then um, closer to my junior year, or end of my sophomore year, got committed to TCU. Um, then the end of my junior year, I went to an area code tryout through 100. And then the rest of that summer did all the showcases and all that nonsense. And then uh, – Senior year came, got drafted, um, finished the rest of that year in the GCL, went to spring training the next year, went to uh, Greensboro, which is our low-way affiliate at the time, and then um, was there the entire year. Next spring training, came to spring training, and uh, right about a week left of that spring training, blew out with Tommy John, um, and then spent all of, which was 2016, all of 16 and pretty much 17 um, doing TJ. And then I'd finished it with about maybe like a month left of the season, and just didn't quite like feel right so um, I pretty much just stayed there and threw pins and just pretty much to get like ready for the next year 2018 and uh, and then 2018 came um, started out doing pretty well and then just had some shoulder stuff didn't feel right and then ended up having TOS surgery at the end of last year um, which is where they remove your first rib and uh, came back from that Went to Batavia this year for a little bit, started feeling a little better, and now I'm here. That is it's such a, an interesting story, too, right? Just going up and down, the surgeries that continually yeah. plague you. But, I mean, let's go back to the very beginning. You're in high school. You're making your commitment to TCU. We touched on it, I guess, very briefly as so we were heading down from the clubhouse. But then you hit 100 miles per hour at the area code games. Did that just open up the entire world of baseball to you there where, you know, invitations could be had wherever you wanted in tournament games, showcases, whatever it be. And then I imagine just where you thought the baseball career was going to change, right, from a co- college commitment to maybe looking at the professional ranks right out of high school yeah no it definitely changed like I mean within an hour it was like I threw and then on the drive home was just like on the phone the entire time and it was like I mean it was crazy so it's just scouts and I guess uh, major league interest too that was coming your way right after that you said at the area code games too where were those being played at it was actually like a uh, like an area code tryout okay so you have to try out before like each team I don't, I don't want to say it's each state has their own team, um, but it's like each area of the country has like a certain team. And uh, for Texas, it was the Rangers, I think, um, or that's who like sponsored it. Um, and so that's the team that I ended up making um, and then went to the area Hill games later on. And so we were touching on this, I think, out in Great Lakes when we were talking with you on the pregame show, that that fastball that you mentioned it was something that you maybe had been aware of that it was coming out that hard, but you didn't have a radar gun. And then when you finally get onto the equipment side of things with the radar gun, it was able to say, wow, I, I am throwing 100 miles per hour. So what was that feeling like out of your arm that just it had to feel different, right, when you're hitting triple digits? I mean, it kind of did, but it just like it went from, man, I think I'm throwing pretty hard to like, I knew it was, like, a lot harder. Just, you know, I didn't really feel like, oh, that I threw this miles per hour or whatever. It just, I just knew it was harder. 
Yeah, and with you, it's kind of interesting because we were out in Great Lakes when we were talking with you, and that was where your brother is playing right now in the right. uh, Los Angeles Dodgers organization. So is this a, a baseball family that uh, you know, comes from a mom and dad or, or maybe even further back? Or, or it definitely, definitely didn't come from my mom's side. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she could throw a ball through a wet paper sack. But, <laughs> but no, I mean, both sides of the family were, you know, I don't want to say bigger people, but definitely weren't small. So I think that helped out. Um, and then they were both just super, you know, they pushed both of us to just work our ass off in everything we did. And, and so, and so you, I mean, you throw 100 miles per hour and, you know, you get all that attention right away out of high school. Were there other sports that you had played? Because I imagine once you get that attention, it's kind of hard to focus on anything else other than baseball. Right. So in, uh, always played football, basketball, baseball. Um, I mean, ever since middle school, I would play football and basketball, and then baseball wasn't really a sport in middle school. But, I mean, I would do that in the summer. And then once I got to high school, it was all three, you know, straight in high school. And then once high school baseball was over, then I did it all summer. And then as soon as summer ball was over, I went straight into two days in football and did that um, my freshman, sophomore, junior year. And then obviously after I started throwing harder, it was like, well, that's probably not going to end up working. So, And it culminates with you winning the Texas Gatorade Player of the Year, I believe, in your senior season out at Shepherd High School. And then, of course, you know that you're going to be drafted. So when was the moment when you realized that, you know, TCU wasn't going to be happening, that it was the professional ranks that you were destined to be in? Um, it was still always kind of in the back of my mind. Um, I didn't really want to, like, think, oh, I'm, you know, definitely doing this or that because, you know, anything can happen. You never really know. But, um it was probably within about a week or two of the draft where it was like, yeah, this is like probably actually going to happen. And, you know, it's kind of when I started, I was like, well, I don't know. So who was, uh, I mean, you're drafted second overall. You must have been the big man on campus, right? When you get this attention from uh, the MLB scouts and then, you know, your career begins immediately in the first round. Right. I wouldn't say much of a campus though. Our, our, small, okay. <laughs> our hometown is 2,300 people and graduate with a hundred people. So, it's not like you can be too big. So you already had the name recognition, I guess, at that moment, right? <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't have to really do much for people to know your name. <laughs> well, that has to be a cool moment, though. That small community must have really rallied behind one of their own being, you know, one of the top amateur prospects in all baseball at that moment. Right, of course. And was, was there a lot of community sport that you still feel in your career? Because you've mentioned, too, the injuries that you've had to go through. Is it something that you can kind of lean on a bit when those times get a little bit tougher? Oh, for sure. Especially during the off season, it's nice to you know go back home and it's like do, people will just be like you know, hey, it's better than what I'm doing, you know, <laughs> which isn't that good of a reason. But uh, no, it's they're they're always there for you. You know, it's no place like home. Well, I was talking about this with uh, Josh uh, Robertson when we had him on the podcast because he too had gone through Tommy John and he was originally thought of as a, a top prospect as far as a first round selection and of course injuries occur and he gets taken in the twelfth round and the question we were asking him was about the rehab that goes into Tommy John because as a baseball fan I think that's usually how anyone in baseball first gets you know acquainted with the sport is just from a fan's perspective you hear Tommy John and you think well that's a year and then he'll be back but there's a lot of work that goes into getting back to that position so what was the the workload like for you to get back into the uh into games that counted yeah I kind of thought the same thing too originally I was like oh well you just kind of get it fixed and then you're just you know once it's healed you just kind of go right back at it but it's more of a it's more of like a like a shoulder strengthening process than like the elbow. You know, once you have the surgery, I mean, theoretically, you could throw right after and you would be fine. You know, they fixed your ligament, like it's it's fixed. The other, the hard part is they fix it and then you sit for two or three months and then you have to start all over 
and you know build up strength in certain areas that you never had to think about just because they've always been there and so you go from being in shape you have the surgery now you're not in shape and you have to start from scratch and just cover everything because if you miss something it's like it's a month or two process just to build that one specific thing up to where it needs to be and so that's like 99 percent of the process i felt like that involves tj so when you first get your your surgery is it mainly just to focus on like cardio type of stuff just to keep you active because you can't do a whole lot with your arm and then when is that that moment maybe a milestone when you can finally start to as you say build the strength in certain areas of a surgically repaired ligament well each uh each doctor is a little different um like my my surgeon i had i had surgery with uh david Alchek and uh like his protocol was i didn't do forearms like any forearm workout for an entire year Whereas, like, guys that have had Andrews and Elitrosh and some other guys, they do forearms within, like, you know, a month or two. And, like, I didn't do it for a single year. And it would, you know, that's just two completely different, you know, ways to do it, just therapy stuff. But, uh, you know, it was like for a month or two, you pretty much were on a bike. You couldn't run because if you were running and you fell and you landed on your arm, that would hurt it because it wasn't strong enough to support you if you fell. So you couldn't run for two months. And then... You know, by the third month, you start, you know, conditioning a little bit, and then you start, you know, there's kind of a lot of cardio, and then once you've started to run for a bit, then you start lifting, because, you know, I don't think you really throw until it's like five or six months, um, so it's like, there's no point in just crushing workouts for two or three months straight, and then trying to pick up a baseball and throw, because you're probably going to be sore, you're going to be sore from lifting, plus not having thrown a baseball for four months or five months or whatever, and then you're going to be sore from throwing the baseball, too. So it's like all that stuff on top of, you know, just everything is it's a lot. It also speaks to some patience, too, because I'm sure you, I mean, you're in the professional ba- in ba- professional baseball, so you're pretty competitive. And once you get an injury like that, I'm sure you might want to say, oh, well, I want to run. I want to do something, right? I want to get back into something. So it's the, the patience just, you know, sitting around has to be one of the toughest parts of Tommy John, especially considering it takes you the better part of a year to recover from. Right. No, it's, it's hard to wait to, it's like, you know, it's like each little step, it's like, oh, I get to, I get to go up by 10 pounds a day and whatever, you know, I'm doing. And then it's like, okay, you do that. And now it's like, well, now I want to go up another 50 pounds or whatever it is. And then it's like, okay, I get to throw in a month. And then, so you're sitting there just thinking about throwing for a month. And then it's like, okay, today's my first day of throwing 30 feet, 10 throws, two set, like 20 throws at 30 feet. That's it. I, I could do that. You know, I've probably been doing that. I could do, you know, throw yeah. nothing and and get the same, um, you know, workout from it. But it's like, it's just so slow. It's like 30 feet. Then you go to 45 and then 60 and 75, 90, 100, 120. And then you have sets on all top, on top of all of those. Each, each interval is like two weeks. And then you get to bullpens and it's like your first bullpen's like 10 or 15 pitches with the catcher up front. And then it's like, you know, another set of that. The next time you get on the mound, then they finally move the catcher back. But then you go back to 15 pitches and then you have to – it's like 15 pitches, then 20, then two sets of 10, and then it's just – it takes forever. And it seems like every interval is like a week or two long. So it's like it – on paper it looks like you're, you know, you're really going pretty fast, but in reality it's like you haven't done anything. <laughs> you right. Know? Cause it's, you still haven't gotten even like – it feels like you're a year or two away from an actual competitive game. It's like I just – I checked off the 20 pitch mark, and I feel like I could be in a game in like a month. So when, when you do go through all that and then you finally, as you say, you know, you get through, check off all those lists and then you finally do get into a game. Is it a new appreciation type of thing because of that road that it's taken just to get onto the mound in a, in a game at that moment? Oh, for sure. It's, I mean, you literally have 
been dealing with yourself and your body and nothing else has really mattered because you haven't been on a team and, you know, everyone else is either getting sent up or down or, you know, they, they retire or, you know, whatever the case may be. And you're just sitting there like doing some workout and some cardio and like getting rubbed out because your arm's a little sore from throwing 60 feet. And it's like, it's just it's boring. And, and it's just all like, once you get into a game, it's like, it all kind of just like starts to come back and it's just kind of brings you back to like being an athlete and like you're competing again. So yeah, it's, definitely one of the coolest things one of the reasons why you do it right is right. is for the the competition it's not for the uh, 30 uh, feet intervals <laughs> taken sure. a couple of months to get to well, unfortunately we'll we'll continue i guess with uh, the, the bad luck i suppose on the injury side of thing because as you mentioned you, you go through all that work you come back and then you find out that you need to have a rib taken out so what is right. the injury that uh, had, had sidelined you there in the surgery i guess if you could remind us because we've heard of ribs being removed but uh, i guess uh, our uh, medical knowledge is a little bit lacking and some regards and what was it that maybe noticed that there was something wrong and it needed some surgery to repair it so I uh, obviously went through all the TJ and um, through all the TJ stuff and being that I had finished like a month left of the season I never really threw more than an inning or two and I, I didn't really think much of it at the time but you know I only threw an inning or two so take the off season, come back last year and in spring training I'm throwing an inning or two and I feel great no problem and then I got to three innings and it was like the first inning would be good, and the second would be okay, and then the third inning, I would just feel super gassed, and I was like, well, that's weird, you know, but I haven't thrown three innings in years, so no big deal, so it went to the next outing, and I was supposed to throw four innings, and it was the same deal, it was like, first was fine, second was okay, third and fourth, I was just gassed, and it was like, this at this, about 25 to 30 pitches, I would just lose it, like, I had no feel, you know, nothing, and I just couldn't figure it out, I was like, obviously, I just went through basically two years of shoulder strengthening there's no way that it's like my arm like I'm not in shape it's you know something's off and so I took I mean trying different stuff throughout the rest of the whole year just like oh well you know I went back to rehab and I re-strengthened some stuff um, and tried it again and same thing like I went to rehab I felt good I worked myself back up to throwing an inning through an inning felt good went to two felt good as soon as I got to three again, same thing, same spots, everything. And then, so then I was like, okay, well now there's something like, now it has to be something in my body. So then went and uh, talked to my agent and he called some people and stuff and ended up getting um, a guy in, in Dallas, um, Dr. Pearl, went to him and uh, did some different like pulse testing and stuff. And I had like no pulse in my arm. Like once my, once my hand got above my shoulder, I had no pulse. And so basically your, your first rib, it wasn't so much my first rib, but you have three scalenes on each side of your neck, and one of them was just way bigger than it should have been. And so basically they cut it out, and that muscle is attached to your first rib, and there's like a slight chance that in the future your rib could be in the way, so they just take it out anyway. So they take out both of them, just get them out of the way, and then it's supposed to just free up you know, blood flow and then helps you recover and so on and so forth. How long of a recovery is it for that? Honestly, the it's kind of hard to, like, when I asked them about it, they were like, once you get over the pain and, like, slash trauma of the actual surgery of being cut and, like, healed up, you're good to go. So I literally, within, like, a week of the surgery, my arm felt stronger after a week after a surgery than it did before I had the surgery. 
That's remarkable. Like, like it was, it was super fast. I was just like, oh, this is good. Like, so that was, it, that was exactly it then, right there, and where you noticed it right away, where you yep. could maybe feel and pitched right away. Is it, did it, you go right back into no. the pitching side of things because no, that no, sounds no, no. rather aggressive after we had heard the uh, <laughs> the minutely of the uh, Tommy John procedure say it put you through? Yeah, no, it definitely wasn't. It wasn't as much of a Tommy John thing. It was more just uh, like a straight build up, you know. So like, how if if a if a player took off for like a couple months for some, you know, weird reason, um, the process they would take to get back to being, you know, ready to play in a game. That's pretty much what I did. And so I just had like a month off of doing nothing. Um, and then went straight back into just building up again. And now we've seen you move from what was a starter originally, right? in Your professional career now with the Clint lumber Kings, we've seen you come out from the bullpen. Is that part of the, uh, the injury history that goes into it, maybe using you in that relief role, or is there a possibility of maybe seeing you stretched out? Because as you talked about, you're running into that wall and then you get the surgery to right. kind of alleviate that. Is that something that obviously might still be on the table for you later on further down the road? I think so. Um, I think, the, the majority of it right now is I haven't had that many outings in the last, let's say, three years. <laughs> so um, I think the bigger part is just to get out as many times as possible and uh, just the more time I can compete against somebody, the better. Yeah, and it was, as we said, pretty cool to see uh, you and your brother, too, and the way that that would have worked out because we only play the East once a season. Right. <laughs> you know, you weren't here for opening day, so very fortunate, I suppose, to get to see your brother. Was that a pretty cool moment, too, in your professional career, just having some family connections on the other side of the field? Yeah, no, I mean, that's never happened for me. Um, but it was funny because I was in Batavia, and uh, I was talking to my mom, and she was like, you know, y'all's, y'all's low-A team plays, um, plays us in, like, of, I don't know, like a month. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, whatever, you know, didn't think anything of it. And then uh, I got called up, and she was like, the first, one of the first things she said was like, y'all, y'all play them in like a week. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Definitely cool. You guys went out to dinner, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, Every good. Night. It, that would have been a, a very big brother move. Sorry, just really busy. Got a lot of stuff yeah, going on. Yeah, got a lot on. of stuff. You can't make it. Well, <laughs> as we mentioned, you weren't here for the beginning of the season with the Clinton Lumber Kings. You started the uh, year out in Batavia before earning the promotion up here to the Miami Marlins full-A affiliate. So we wanted to have some fun. We usually, you know, had the guys fill out a questionnaire. It's really for personal reasons for me on the broadcast side of things as to get through my three-hour tap dance, as we call it from time to time. But we talked touched on it very briefly when you're on the pregame show, just the hobbies and uh, other interests that you have and you're able to indulge in. You, you very quickly corrected us that not during the season because, you know, there aren't too many off days. Right. <laughs> few there are is reserved for sleep. No exceptions allowed. But when you're in the off season, you mentioned uh, an outdoors guy. So hunting and fishing and things like that. Do you have any particular animals and favorite spots back home that you like to visit during the off season? Definitely hunting. Um, I grew up on a 10,000 acre ranch, cattle ranch. And uh, so grew up, you know, being able to pretty much do whatever I wanted to do. And uh, just always been outside, you know, didn't didn't play video games much. Uh, never really watched TV. I mean, I literally had whatever I wanted to do outside to do. So um I still pretty much do that, still in the same place. Um, and, like, we have a bunch of hogs, which are wild and technically feral, even though I hate saying that word. It's, I don't know. But, uh, no, that's I do a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, shoot pigs, trap them, however I can get rid of them. 
And that's maybe. mainly the offseason for you, right? That's pretty much it, yeah. That's funny because, uh, you know, we've got a lot of hunters down there. Connor Scott, he's a, he's a big hunter too. He, so He claims. Oh, he claims. Okay. <laughs> a rivalry has developed, and that is why we draw them out on that's right. the A-ball side of things. Well, maybe during the offseason we can settle uh, such a grudge match. <laughs> well, thanks again, Tyler Kolick, for taking the time to talk with us here on A-ball. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. And welcome back to A-Ball with Eric Ghost. You just heard from one of the Lumber Kings' bullpen options, Tyler Kolick. Maybe somewhere down the road could move back into the starting role. And that fastball that we have been keeping close tabs on, he's got that electric arm. It's slated to get the fastball up to 102 miles per hour, but battling back from injuries. We've seen the fastball from Kolick topping out around 94, 95 miles per hour. As you just heard from him, though, it has been a long road to recovery. Lots of surgeries and downtime and reconstruction and all that, and the rehab, of course, that goes into it. So we do appreciate Tyler taking some time to talk with us. And the Lumber Kings, too, as we were touching on, a team that is beginning to rebound following their longest losing streak of the second half in which they had fallen in four straight games. Fortunately, three of those games had been a series sweep against the Kent County Cougars. So when we had last spoken with you, the Lumber Kings, they were in first place and have since been dropped into second. But they do win their series against the Cedar Rapids Colonels, a team that had really given the Lumber Kings fits on the year. We record this following a Monday afternoon win. The Lumber Kings came into the action just 3-9 and nine against the Colonels this season. They are now 4-9, and nine, so still not that impressive, but a turnaround that has at least led to their first win against Cedar Rapids this season. Now, the series sweep against Kent County after it had happened, we began thumbing through the media guide just to see where that had fallen in the franchise history. And unfortunately, it was ugly to find out because it was the first time in franchise history the Lumber Kings had been swept in three games by the Cougars in Clinton ever in franchise history. They've been playing the Kent County Cougars now since 1991. So it's been a while. Unfortunately, that stretch has come to an end as the Lumber Kings in those three games being swept by the Cougars, dropping into second place. But as we said, beginning to rebound the pitching, it has been there. The offense just kind of went away for four games, but it has returned in a rather large way. We mentioned Zach Scott hitting his second home run of the season, but he was really just part of one offensive key for the Lumber Kings in their consecutive wins against the Cedar Rapids Colonels. You had a three-hit performance from Christopher Torres. Peyton Burdick had another two-hit performance, two RBIs. Burdick now has 27 RBIs on this season. It's pretty impressive when you think that Peyton has only been here for 33 games. It's been about an RBI a game for Peyton. He has really had the nose for the RBIs, and also you had J.D. Osborne, he had a two-RBI performance on a single in that Monday win. Also, two-hit performances from the likes of Bubba Hollins and Davis Bradshaw and Zach Scott, a 14-hit performance in all. Now, the day before that, we before we let you go, we want to talk about what was one of the longer home runs we have seen in Cedar Rapids. Now, been with the team for three years. We've seen several home runs in Cedar Rapids. It's kind of a funky ballpark where they have a short porch and left, like you'd imagine the Crawford boxes out at Minute Maid Park or the home that he 
Houston Astros. Well, Thomas Jones in a home run yesterday, part of, on Sunday, I should say, uh, as part of a 5 to nothing win for the Lumber Kings. Hit a home run over that short porch, so nothing to write home about there. It then continued to soar. It went over the party deck. It went over the fence. It went over the street outside of the ballpark and landed in someone's backyard. Thomas Jones, when we had him on the podcast, he was telling us he's not a power guy. I think he lied to us, folks, because that was his ninth of this, or excuse, yeah, the ninth of the season, and it was the definition of a no-doubter. Now, Thomas, when we asked him what kind of player he envisioned himself, he said a, a speed guy, someone who uses that speed of his, the former football prospect, and he does have 16 stolen bases on this season. He said he just has the power maybe later and just right now when he has a good swing on one. Well, that certainly was a good swing. Maybe the best swing we've seen from Jones all season. If we're just going by distance traveled, it's not too often when you hit him out of stadiums, and Thomas Jones certainly had done that. It was a consensus by a rather large contingent of Lumber Kings faithful that had made their way out to Cedar Rapids, a team that is now being followed pretty closely by those back home in Clinton, and we hope you as well. And this is where we'll shamelessly plug the broadcast side of things, because you can listen to all Lumber Kings games on 100.3 FM WCCI for those of you that are in the broadcast range. Of course, for those of you that are outside, you can listen to all Lumber Kings games as well, but online at LumberKings.com via the TuneIn Radio app. We want to give a big thanks to our guest, Tyler Kolick, for taking some time to talk with us out in Clinton. And, of course, all of you for joining us here on episode number 18 of A-Ball. We're going to be back next week, and we're thinking we just might have to grab Remy Reed, considering how sharp he has been with the Lumber Kings this season. He's really forcing our hands. So perhaps Remy Reed for episode number 19. We'll talk to you next week. We'll hope to see you at the ballpark some point this summer and, of course, on the radio as well. Thanks again for listening to A-Ball with Eric goes.